0: That was absolutely beautiful. Thank you. So wonderfully done. And thank you, Brother Blake, and what a delight it is to have traveled so far to be here today. And I told Brother Blake that normally I get travel reimbursement, but I'm going to exempt that today. And. And what a delight it is to be back at First Baptist, and he's right, I I know here that I'm known as as Zoe and Emery and Bryce's grandfather, and that's perfectly okay, because I want to tell you, I I have to confess, being a grandparent is better than being a parent. Uh, It really is. In fact, I was thinking when Dr. Palmer was sharing a moment ago, he's our grandkids pediatrician, and I thought, yeah, all of those health issues they have, it's my fault but I am not changing my behavior. I'm just going to confess that, you know? I mean, it's my job to fill them full of sugar and send them home. It is, and when your kids complain, just say, well, I'll change the wheel if you don't like it. So it it just works great. But some of you have small children and maybe you get a little discouraged and you have a hard day. Let me give you a take heart. One day you'll have grandchildren and you will discover that grandkids are God's reward for not killing your kids. That's really what they are. (laughs) I've collected stories these past few years about grandkids and my favorite comes from a man who is now with the Lord. But he told me this was a true story so I give him the benefit of the doubt he uh, had lost his wife. He was a widower. They had one daughter who at the time this happened had a five-year-old daughter, and he was babysitting her, and she was, they were playing some games, and she looked at him, and she said, Papa, if there was something you could do for me, would you do it? And he said, honey, you know I would. I'd do anything in the world for you. Well, there's something I want you to do and I want you to do it right now. He said, all right, you tell me what it is, we'll do it. She said, I want you to croak like a frog. He said, You want me to croak like a frog? Yes, I want you to croak like a frog. He said, Well, I've never done that before, but for you, I will. So he cleared his throat, and best he could, he croaked like a frog. And when he finished, (laughs) the little girl jumped off of his lap, started running around the room, clapping and yelling, We are going to Disney World! We are going to Disney World! And he said, what makes you think you're going to Disney World? She said, because I heard mama tell daddy, when grandpa croaks, we're going to Disney World. That's (laughs) why. You have to love grandkids. Well, I'm not here to talk about grandkids. I want you to open your Bible to the book of Hebrews chapter 3. The book of Hebrews chapter 3, and in just a moment we'll take our text from there. I do want to say just a brief word, hopefully you can join us tonight at 6 o'clock. I'm going to be talking tonight about reaching your prodigal. If you have children that have made some poor decisions, maybe they're good kids, they're just not in church, every parent who is going through that always asks two questions. What did I do wrong, and what can I do now? and I have over these last many years have devoted a great deal of my time to researching and studying wayward prodigal children who had good parents and grew up in the church And tonight, I want you to come. You may not have any children. There'll be a lot of parenting tips along the way. Maybe you have good kids. Uh, As I say, there's still a chance. Maybe you have someone who's going through that. You bring them tonight. Here's what I promise you. Tonight, you will leave here with hope in your heart and a skip in your step. It will not be discouraging or depressing. It'll be encouraging and uplifting. And I promise you tonight, I'll answer those two questions. What did I do wrong? What do I do now? And the answers will probably surprise you. That's tonight at six. But this morning, I want to draw your attention to a phrase that appears not once or twice, but three times in the book of Hebrews. And it is a quote from the Old Testament. Now, I believe the Bible only has to say something one time to be an authoritative word from God. But when the Bible says something on more than one occasion, we ought to pay close attention to what is being said. And you'll find the phrase first in verse 7 of Hebrews 3, where the scripture says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Now notice in verse 15 that it is repeated, while it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And then in chapter four, the last phrase of verse seven, as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Now, these three passages of Scripture, along with some others that we could read this morning, very clearly imply that God still speaks to people today. But there's a tendency, I've noticed, for people to avoid the voice of God, or even to acknowledge that God is speaking to them. You know, when I started preaching over 40 years ago, I would often go to rural churches, country churches, and it was a pretty common thing in those churches, especially if we had a multi-day revival, that the preacher might ask, does anybody would like to stand and share a word of testimony? Some of you can remember when churches would do that. And I would hear people stand and say things like, Pastor, I'd like to say that God spoke to me this week. God told me to go and make right a relationship. Pastor, God told me to, to go and give money to meet a need. Pastor, God spoke to me about some sin in my life this week. It was nothing uncommon to hear people say that God had been speaking to their heart. But I've noticed in the last few years that I rarely hear anyone say in church publicly that God is speaking to them. And I begin to wonder why. Is it because God has ceased speaking? I don't think so. Then why is it that we don't acknowledge God is speaking to our hearts? And I think there's a rational reason. Uh, as a matter of fact, years ago I was watching the National News Program 2020. And the reporter was interviewing a mass murderer from California, a man who was convicted of 15 different murders for no apparent reason. Even the prosecution said they could not isolate the reason. And so the reporter looked at this serial killer and he said, Sir, why would anyone do what you have done? And the man looked into the camera and he said, Well, I did it because God told me to do it. You know, I've heard people in my travels say that, you know, God told them to commit adultery or embezzle money. And they've told me all these sins and blame it on the voice of God. Well, can I help you this morning? Something I hope you'll never forget. The voice of God never tells anybody to do anything that contradicts the word of God. The voice of God is consistent with the word of God. But now sometimes it's not so black and white. What do you do if someone comes to work on Monday and they tell the boss, I'm turning in my notice, I'm quitting in two weeks. So you ask them, why are you quitting? Have you inherited some money? You got a new job? No. Got issues with the boss? No. Well, why? Well, God told me to quit. Well, we can't be as quick to reach a judgment about those people. But when you put it all together, it seems the only people today who say they hear the voice of God are people who are trying to justify some bizarre action or what appears to be a poor decision. So here's the result. When we come together on Sunday morning and God speaks to our hearts, and he tells us there's something we need to do, we are reluctant to acknowledge it and obey it because we fear if we do, somebody will view us with a skeptical eye. So what I wanna do this morning is I wanna share a very simple sermon. I'm not gonna tell you anything this morning you don't already know. But I believe over the next few minutes, across this congregation, that God is going to speak to hearts. In the privacy of your heart, there's something God is going to tell you to do. And in a few moments, we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing and have a hymn of invitation. And I'm going to invite you at that time to do what you know God is telling you to do. And when you do, I assure you, no one in this place will view you with a skeptical eye. Instead, they will rejoice that you obeyed the voice of God. For example, there are probably several of you here today, maybe even some in the balcony, And God is speaking to you and he's telling you, you need to become a member of the First Baptist Church in Decatur. This is where you need to plant your life and your church membership. Now, you know, as a traveling preacher, I often meet people who attend a church. They may have come for some time, but for one reason or the other, they never take the step to become a member of that church. In fact, some people don't even see the importance of being a member of the church they attend. Uh, I had a lady come to me one night at the close of a service, and I'm sure she was a very nice lady. But she came to me and she said, I want to tell you, I am not joining this church. Well, can I ask why? Oh, I'm not going to join any church. You see, I'm going to go to all these churches. They're having a special day here, and they're having a workshop at this church, and then they're going to have a singing at this church, and they're going to have a special series of services, and I'm just going to go and glean from all the churches. And I guess she thought I was going to be impressed. And I looked at her, and I said, well, I'm so sorry to hear that. She said, what are you, why are you sorry? I said, because you are never going to know the joy of growing as a Christian. She said, well, sure I am. I'm going to glean from all of these churches. I said, no, you may go to those churches, but you're not going to grow as a Christian because God designed Christian growth to come through our involvement in a local church. As a matter of fact, I said, see, here's what will happen. You're going to go to those churches when they're going to be on mountaintop experiences. I mean, when everything is gee whiz and praise the Lord and it's just hallelujah here and hallelujah there. And those are great experiences, but you don't grow through those experiences. You grow when you plant your life in membership in one church and with the people in that church, you work together, you give together, you pray together, you cry together, you rejoice together. That's when you grow as a Christian. She said, so you don't think I can live the Christian life without being a member of a church? I said, no, by your definition, you might be able to live a Christian life. I said, you would not be able to grow in your Christian life. I said, let me compare it to you this way. I said, of course, with our work, I travel a lot and I fly quite often. And I said, here's my routine. When I have to fly, I drive over to nearby Huntsville, Alabama, and I get on the plane. And I do not know why God ordained it this way, but God ordained that all flights going out of Huntsville, most of them have to go through Atlanta. In fact, when I die, I think I'll go through Atlanta before I go to heaven. (laughs) (coughs) And of course, you usually are delayed for two hours when you get there. But I said, let me tell you what happens a lot of times. When we're flying to Atlanta we take off we're making good time and I'm thinking I'm not going to have to rush to catch my connection and about the time we get over Rome Georgia the pilot comes on and says folks I'm sorry it's a little congested today in Atlanta they tell us they don't have a landing slot for us so we're going to go into a holding pattern until we can land now I've flown enough I know what that means that means we are going to fly around in circles for the next 30 minutes And literally, if you could see that plane, that's what it's doing until it's cleared to land. I said, now ma'am, I want you to think about it. That airplane is flying, but it's not going anywhere. And when a person is not a member of a local church, they're like an airplane in a holding pattern. You're living in the Christian life, but you're not progressing and growing in your Christian life. That comes when you plant your life as an individual, as a family in one church, you become a member of that church and with the people of that church, you work together. Now I know I have preached long enough. People always have a reason why they haven't joined the church. And they sometimes think they're valid. I preached in South Alabama several years ago and there was a couple in the church where I was preaching. I would imagine they were in their late sixties, maybe their early seventies but they were one of those couples that everybody loved. I mean, they were the most encouraging people. They just, they just encouraged everybody. You knew everybody loved them because when church was dismissed, this, everybody gravitated to them. And I, I just was encouraged by them the week I was there. And I said to the pastor on Tuesday, I said, you know, pastor, you were blessed to have that couple in your church. I mean, they're so optimistic. They're such, they're like cheerleaders. They're just so encouraging. And he said, you know, Phil, that's an unusual situation. They're not members of our church. That couple that's so, inc- no, nope, they're not members. I said, well, uh, how long have they been coming? He said, well, I've been the pastor for five years. They've been coming as long as anybody can remember. In fact, I can't find anybody can remember a time when they didn't come to our church. And I said, well, why don't they join your church? He said, I don't know. He said, they're members of a church out west and... They just got a their membership, but they haven't done it. I said, well, why don't they do it? He said, I told you, I don't know. I said, well, why don't you ask them? He said, because I'm scared to. He said, I'm not a fool. If I ask them it offends them, they leave. Well, everybody else will leave with them, and I'll probably be the one they run off. I I can't do it. Then I saw that look. I've seen it before. He said, hey, you leaving Wednesday night. Why don't you ask them? When I get the chance, I will. So Wednesday we had a senior adult luncheon and that lady was there and I said, ma'am, you know everybody in this church, they just love you and your husband. Oh, Brother Phil, we love them. We just love this place. And I said, but they told me the most unusual thing. They said you weren't a member of this church. No, my husband, we're not members. Well, can I be personal and ask why you've never joined this church? Oh, don't mind telling you, Brother Phil. We're from out west and she told me where. And we may move back there someday. And if we do, our church membership's waiting on us. I said, well, how long you been living here? God is my witness, she said, 42 years. (laughs) You've been living here? We've been living here 42 years. We've gone to this church 41 and a half years. And I said, well, ma'am, let me share something with you. And I shared with her, in essence, what I said a moment ago about Christian growth. And I said, now, let me tell you what I really believe the Lord wants you to do. If this is a place where you are at home and you love the people and you're being fed spiritually, this is the place where you need to be a member. And if circumstances change and you move back out west, you can always move your membership back. But for now, I really believe you need to plant your life and your membership in this church. She said, well, I'll talk to my husband about it. Well, we had the service that night. And I remember we came to the invitation, much like we'll have in a few minutes. And I remember that man stepped into the aisle, and his wife stepped out, and together they came down the aisle to the pastor. And the man said something to the pastor of the church. And then I witnessed something. <laughs> well, i got to tell you, i never seen it before in a Baptist church. In the invitation, when he said something to the pastor, the pastor lost it, Laughing. I mean we're having the invitation and the pastor is belly laughing, slapping his leg laughing. We're singing just as I am and I want to say, Pastor be respectful. He is laughing his heart out. Couple's not even smiling. Well at the close of the service the pastor said, folks I apologize for getting so tickled during the invitation. But I gotta tell y'all what that man said to me with a straight face. He said, they came forward, took me by the hand, and said, Pastor, we prayed about it long enough. We gonna join your church. (laughs) And the whole congregation laughed. But can I tell you the beauty of that story? About six months after I preached in that church, that lady wrote me a letter and she said, thank you, Brother Phil, for encouraging us to join. She said, because you were right my husband and i have grown spiritually more in the last six months than we did the first 41 and a half years combined you know what that lady discovered and her husband discovered what some of you would discover some of you have been coming to first baptist for several weeks several months you might have been coming for 42 years but you know you've not taken the step to say we want to be a member of this church you say, well, that's a, you know, we thinking about it. Well, let me tell you, today's when you need to do it. As a matter of fact, you say, well, we didn't talk about it before church. I, I don't know what my husband's thinking, my wife's thinking. Okay, I can help you with that. While I'm preaching, you reach over and take them by the hand and you squeeze it real hard, one good time. And that's your way of saying, we are gonna join this morning. <laughs> and in a few minutes, when we stand and I invite people to come, And when Pastor Blake and Brother Roger and other staff will be here, I just want you to slip from where you are. You may just be a a, a single person who comes, just an individual. You might be a couple. You might be a whole family. And I just want you in a few moments to step from where you're standing. You're not going to be embarrassed, and everybody in this church is going to be rejoicing. And you come and just tell them, Pastor, I want to be, we want to be, our family wants to be a part of First Baptist. And so why don't you today decide, right now, you're going to do what God tells you to do. But let me also tell you, there's another group seated here this morning. And you hear the voice of God saying to you, you need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Now, when I was a young preacher, I didn't say much about baptism because I wanted to make sure everyone understood that baptism was not essential to salvation. And that's biblically correct. But in making that point, I failed to make another point. Listen carefully. Baptism is not essential to our salvation, but it is essential to discipleship. You see, once we give our life to Christ and become a Christian, The way we let people know the first step of discipleship is following the Lord in believers' baptism. And every time I preach, there's people in a congregation, some of you here, maybe you're a student, maybe you're a young adult, you may even be a senior adult. And if we had a conversation today, you would tell me, Brother Phil, I know I'm a Christian. I I know I've trusted Christ, no doubt in my mind. But since you've made that decision, you have not followed the Lord, in believers' baptism. So, I wanna ask you, what are you waiting for? Well, I, can I just tell you something this morning? You're never gonna to get to step two, three, five, 10, 25 in your Christian life until you become obedient about step number one. Now, I don't wanna mislead you, so let me be clear about something. We're not rushing anyone to the baptistry when you come forward to baptize you this morning, no. But in a few moments, I'm gonna invite you to come as a student, a young adult. You come and you can say to Pastor Blake, Pastor, I've trusted Christ. No, I'm a Christian. But I need to follow him in baptism. And here's what's gonna happen. They're gonna set a time in the next few weeks when you can be baptized. You can have friends and family to be here. But the initial step you need to take this morning to say, that's what I need to do. Maybe you're a student, maybe it's your spouse, and you need to turn to him and say, listen, this is a little hard, would you go with me? And they'll gladly come with you for you to say, I want to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. But before I leave that subject, can I take it one step further? Because there's something I've noticed that's very prevalent among Baptists today, among Christians. Some of you who are sitting here today are wondering, why is it every time I watch someone go into the baptismal waters, I hear a voice telling me I need to do that? Why do I sense I've never been at peace about my baptism? And you say, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm a member here at First Baptist. I just don't understand why I'm not at peace about my baptism. Well, maybe you're like a student minister who came to see me several years ago. He said in our home, and this was the essence of our conversation. He said, Brother Phil, there's something wrong in my Christian life. I don't know what it is. I cannot isolate it, but something's wrong. I said, well, why don't you tell me your uh, life story? He said, well, I-, I went to church when I was young. My parents went to church. We had a vacation Bible school service, and I was seated on the road with some boys. One of them went forward, so we all followed him to the front. I really didn't know why it was going forward, to be honest. I just followed those boys. And... I remember they took us in a room, and they asked us our name, address, phone number, parent's name, and they brought us back in. And I remember the preacher saying something like, these boys want to be a part of the church. But he said, I, I really didn't know what I was doing, I, I just did it because the other boys did it. I don't even remember anybody talking, sharing scripture or anything with me. And even though we were baptized, I became a member of the church, and I went through the whole student program, he said, when I went to college. One night, I was honest with my friends and said, I have never trusted Christ. And he said, it was there while I was in college for the first time, I gave my heart and my life to Jesus Christ. And he said, right after that, a church asked me if I would help with their students. And I've been in student ministry ever since. I said, no, hang on a minute. When did you trust Christ? I told you I I trusted Christ when I was in college, about 20 When were you baptized? Oh, I told you I was baptized when I was seven or eight years old. I said, wait, I can help you with this. The New Testament is clear. The order is for us to become a Christian and then to be baptized. In the Bible, baptism always follows salvation. It never precedes it. And what happened to that young student minister? I am finding it's happened to a lot of people. When you were young, you went through an emotional decision. Maybe you went through baptismal waters. But if we had a conversation, you would say to me, Phil, I really believe I trusted Christ at a later point in my life. And now you wonder why when you watch people being baptized, you wonder, why am I bothered? Because it's the voice of God saying it's out of order. And you know this morning, there may be some of you I've watched people even in their 90s who would come to say, Pastor, what he said is right. It's me. It's out of order. And I want to be at peace about my baptism. And you can come and share that with a pastor and say, you know, I, I, you may already be a member of this church, but I'm just not at peace about it. And I really believe I came to Christ and had a true conversion experience after I'd gone through baptism waters, and I want to get it in the right order and you can obey the voice of God. And I'm not promising, there's no magic in the water of the baptist of this church. The Same water that flows in this baptist, the same water that flows into your house. There's nothing magical about it. But I'll tell you this, there is a freedom and a joy and a victory that comes into your life when you obey the Lord about believer's baptism. Now that's a bold step, what I just asked you to make. But I want to tell you, if you come this morning and you make that decision, no one's going to think less of you, but they're going to rejoice that you did what God told you to do. But you know, there's another group and I mentioned it briefly, but it is the most important. There are some of you here today and you know, God is speaking to you and telling you, you need to become a Christian. You need to trust Christ as your savior. I've often wondered when we have services like this, and we invite people to come and become Christians, why some are reluctant to come. And a friend of mine not too long ago became a Christian, and it was in a service similar to this one. So I asked him, why didn't you come before now? And he looked at me, and he said, I'll be honest with you. I had no idea what was going to happen when I got to the front. I was afraid the preacher was going to ask me some hard questions or He was going to ask me stuff I didn't know, or or they was going to, and I was just going to get drilled, and he said, I was so afraid of what would happen if I responded. And I realized at that moment, that's what the devil tells a lot of people. Why, you go forward, well, Brother Breach, I'm going to say, you need to name the Ten Commandments, or quote the third verse of amazing grace. No, none of that's going to happen. You see, we come to Christ with childlike faith. And it is simply placing our trust in Christ. And in a few moments, if you've never trusted Christ, I'm going to invite you, whether you're a boy or a girl, a student, an adult, you come and you say to Brother Blake, I'm not a Christian and I want to be. I promise you, he'll take the conversation from that point, and no one will embarrass you, but simply share with you how you can become a Christian. And you will say to Brother Blake and to me at the close of the service what I have heard hundreds of people say in my life, that was not nearly as hard as I thought it was going to be. Because the devil tries to intimidate you to keep you away, but we come like children and give our life to Christ. So is that what he's telling you today? Well, if you come, I can assure you, nobody is going to look down on you or be intimidating at all. They're going to rejoice that you came. And like those about baptism, maybe you need to say to a friend, I need to become a Christian. Will you go with me? And I know folks here, they'll gladly come with you. Maybe you need to say to your spouse, I need to go. Will you go with me? Would you please? They will, and they'll be so glad you came. But let me ask you, What is God telling you to do this morning? Is he telling you you need to be a member of this church? You need to follow him in baptism? You need to become a Christian? Well, whatever he's telling you, I pray you will heed the words of the writer of Hebrews that if today, right now, this service, you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, but do what he's telling you to do. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Brother Matt and the musicians are coming. and In just a moment, we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing a familiar song that you'll know. And if you don't know it, that's okay. You don't have to sing. The musicians will gladly lead us. But just as I said several times in my message this morning, Brother Blake, Brother Roger, other staff are gonna be here at the front. I'm there to receive you when you come. Now I know some of you have already made your mind up you're gonna come. If you're in the balcony, it will take you a moment or two to get here, but it'll be worth a walk and we'll wait for you. You may be standing beside someone, that's okay. They'll let you into the aisle, I promise. You may need to say to someone, come go with me. They'll be glad to do it. But let me ask you first, are you here as an individual, a couple, a family, and you need to join First Baptist, you put it off? Well, let me, can I tell you from experience, if you would be willing to be obedient, you're going to make it a lot easier for people who need to trust Christ to come. So your simple obedience is going to have a ripple effect, I promise. So right now may be the time you need to squeeze a spouse, or you may need to tell your family, we're going to do it today. And literally as we'll stand when I finish this prayer and I'm going to invite you when I say amen and Matt begins to lead us in singing. I want you to step out and start making your way. you be the first to come and people are going to rejoice and you're going to be glad you did. Some of you have trusted Christ and you need to come for baptism. And some of you, as I said, you need to take a bold step to come say, I've never been at peace about my baptism because I really believe it occurred after I trusted Christ and I want to get it in order. Would you be willing to step out and come? You've never trusted Christ and you're not a Christian. Today's your day. You know in your heart He's telling you you need to do it. It's your day. You can come along. Maybe say to a friend, go with me. They'll come with you. And when you come, you just say, I'm not a Christian and I want to be and they'll take it from there. But all I'm asking you to do in the next one, two minutes is to do what God told you to do. Father, speak to hearts. Give people the freedom to respond. Thank you for those, even as they stand, from the balcony and the main floor who are coming. I'll praise you for it, and we will rejoice with them as they're coming, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.